This is episode four of the Go Outside podcast. Today's guest is Michael Skibstead. What are Western pond turtles? I know that there's like the southern, I'm not too familiar, but I know that there's like, two, is it two subspecies or two species like in the northern and southern part of California? Could you maybe explain like the differences and just like what they are? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So this, the pond turtle complex is a really interesting thing, um, mostly because it, it's it's actually um, it's been pretty complex and they're pretty similar looking. When you really look at the the minor differences, you'll notice some differences with them. Um, but it's really taken. I, I'll step back a little. So um, this actually. Early on, um, someone named Seliger in 1945 published a paper uh, just all on morphology. That's kind of how all the taxonomic systematic stuff was done back then. Um, Looking at it was 11 differences between northern pond turtles. Uh, So these are pond turtles predominantly at the time uh, considered San Francisco Bay is kind of the cutoff area. Um, The ones that were north of that going all the way up to Washington. Uh, southern Washington. And, and actually, I don't know if Seeliger looked at Washington turtles. It may have just been Northern California. Uh, but anything north of San Francisco Bay is sort of a Northern Pacific pond turtle. Uh, and then anything south was a Southern Pacific pond turtle, with a few exceptions in, in exactly what's going on. The ones that were closer into the range, I, I've never read the paper, but I've sort of seen it cited um, and, and heard some about it. But it, it's pretty hard to get access to because it's so old. Um, but they looked at 11 differences morphologically and found that there was sort of this major break right at that San Francisco Bay area um, and in these in these 11 differences. And kind of what they the, the major takeaway there, it's still cited a lot, uh, was that the Southern Pacific pond turtles are morphologically different because they tend to lack the inguinal scute. Uh, so that's the scute sort of in that little inguinal pocket there. Um, on the, in the plastral area. Um, and that's kind of a major difference. And the Northern Pacific pond turtles tend to have it, but interestingly, it's not a hundred percent, which morphology goes like that a lot. Um, sometimes Northern Pacific ones will lack it or it's very small and you can't really see it. And sometimes Southern ones will have it and it can be actually pretty large. Uh, so there's a lot of difference there. And they looked at some difference between colors uh, Southern Pacific pond turtles tend to have kind of a more modeled uh, face and neck. The neck isn't as contrasting with the, the dorsal profile of the head, um, whereas Northern Pacific pond turtles tend to have kind of a, you know, a dark brown um, dorsal side of the head and, and the ventral aspect, the neck area is pretty white and it really contrasts. There's a lot of phenotypic variation there, but uh, fast forward you know, 50, 55, 60 years with kind of the um, genetics world and uh, molecular cladistics kind of approach to this stuff. Um, The first, there were a few studies in the 90s that looked at some gene sequences, uh, predominantly mitochondrial, the site B gene, uh, which is pretty rapidly evolving uh, gene that's it's used in a lot of turtle analyses, um, but it looked at mitochondrial sequences and found that there was very little s- structure in the populations genetically uh, that were north of San Francisco. So that kind of agreed with uh, 
at, at least that kind of agreed with the the analysis done 50 years prior Seeligers to say, oh, there is definitely some some evidence that are species up here uh, or that they're very similar. Um, and then fast forward to 2005, uh, Brad Schaefer in the, at UCLA um, I, I, and I believe uh, Phil, Dr. Phil Spinks uh, and Dr. Schaefer both worked on a paper in 2005 that um, looked at a little bit more, a little more robust analysis. They looked at both nuclear and mitochondrial uh, sequences and the sequences that, yeah, that they looked at there, they sort of found this structure with clades. They found four different clades. And a clade is just a, a genetically related group of organisms. Um, and they did a few different analyses to figure this out. And there's four. So they found a clade from San Francisco Bay, going back to that first study that looked at the morphology, uh, that went all the way up to Washington, uh, southern Washington, where the pond turtles sort of stop. And then they found a clade that was sort of they call the San Joaquin Valley, uh, which is just south of San Francisco Bay down to around just north of Santa Barbara County, um, which is kind of the center. That's a breadbasket of California. Um, and then they found another clade in Santa Barbara that was a little bit mixed. And that, that one was a little bit odd to see. And then they found a southern clade. Um, and then what ended up happening with that paper is they actually proposed the idea that they shouldn't recognize any species um, the subspecies question, I believe that their conclusion there also was that there's no need. This should be one taxon uh, at the time, Actinemys uh, marmorata. And so in 2014, the last major study I'm aware of that looked at this, um, I believe it was Fritz. I'm not actually sure who did it, but they did come up with sort of the same break. They found a major break between the northern turtles north of San Francisco Bay and the southern turtles uh, south of San Francisco Bay and concluded that there was enough evidence there um, to say that they are full species. So you kind of had the one side saying earlier on, um, beginning of the 21st century, saying that, no, there's no distinction here. It's not enough. It's not conclusive. There's some level of it, but we don't really know um, for sure how much this is. Let's take kind of a conservative approach here. And then more recently, you've had, no, these are full species. And um, yeah, so currently, that's sort of a long-winded way to uh, kind of give you a rundown on pond turtle taxonomy. But um, I would say currently, the accepted rule would be that anything north of around the San Francisco Bay Area is considered a northern Pacific or northwestern pond turtle. Uh, that's Actinemys marmorata marmorata. And anything south of San Francisco Bay um, that is close to the coast um, of California is a southern Pacific or southwestern pond turtle. And I, I should say this, though, interestingly, the first study that looked at them or th there's been some uh, work that was done recently that showed that there is some substructure genetically um, to the turtles in Baja, California. And so we could potentially in the future here see some uh, a new species of turtle described from the Baja Peninsula area there. Uh, so that would be Mexico. Um, and that's something that could be on the horizon. I'm not 100% sure who's working on that, but I've heard a word on the street is that this potentially could be something. So kind of an interesting thing. There could be another cryptic uh, pond turtle. But yeah, the general consensus uh, is that there are two species, two full species, and they have been regarded as subspecies in the past. I should say that the Seeliger morphological analysis 
uh, placed him as subspecies, but now, yeah, genetics is, is uh, it's a little inconclusive, but they are recognized as species uh, in the official taxonomy book. So uh, that's kind of where it is at this point. Kind of a long-winded answer to that, but a little rundown. Gotcha. So are you um just, well, does your research focus on like one uh, species or are you like um, researching both species? Yeah, yeah. Great question. Um, so my work focuses predominantly on, on uh, well, 100% on southwestern pond turtles. Um, we're working at a creek uh, in southern California, so south of Santa Barbara County. Um, and yeah, so I'm looking at kind of basking and uh, kind of analyzing w- what factors um, determine where we're seeing pond turtles basking. And also looking at red-eared sliders that have been introduced in there uh, in the same river and, and seeing what factors, uh, environmental factors, are, are predicting where sliders are basking. Uh, and kind of interpreting that in this, in the, uh, with urbanization in mind. How is urbanization affecting where the turtles are basking? And is there anything we can, this one's a little hard to answer, but is there anything we can pick up that between how the pond turtles versus the sliders are basking that would give any indication of potentially um interspecies competition there so yeah that's kind of it you you were you were even out there in the july yeah yeah, it's, came down. It's yeah. Cool, to, cool to see yeah i um, know yeah. um, so yeah so that's looking at with your uh, research are you far enough into to have like um i guess some degree of like uh, confidence and like your, your findings are like, are you like, uh, I guess, where are you like in the research project would be the better question. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that's, that's definitely. And I will say though, um, I'm, as a high school student, it is tough to do these things uh, almost college, but getting there, but it's definitely been a fun thing to do this. Actually, yesterday was sort of the, one year anniversary of starting this major project. Um, I have worked in these, the Creek that I'm working at um, for this most of my life, honestly, 10 plus years kind of exploring it. But this is, this year was sort of the first uh, year I, I uh, worked on this sort of, you know, more robust analysis with uh, Dr. Greg Pauly, um, the curator of herp- herpetology at the Los Angeles Natural History Museum. This is kind of the first year we really uh, we really buckled down on this. And so, yeah, at this point, the paper that I was writing um, has been submitted to the first submission, which is not it's not a journal or anything, but we're hoping to get it there at some point. Um, but this it so there is sort of a draft for it. Uh, we are looking to do some more analyses statistics on it for a little more confidence kind of like you're saying uh working a principal component analysis in there um which we didn't do initially but that will come a little bit later uh but at this point we collected uh 770 or 767 data points so that's essentially um 767 turtle basking events that we recorded uh this is all visual too. the surveys we did handling or anything like that it's it's really a pain to get any sort of permits for that here but um yeah we just looked at kind of visual observations and ended up with i think a pretty robust data set and 
Um, so yeah, no, the paper is, is sort of in review for that, not a journal yet, but that is kind of the next step. So yeah, I think, yeah, it kind of answered that question. We've definitely got some data that I feel pretty comfortable about, uh, sort of how we've done the analyses. So. Gotcha. So are the red sliders like the, uh, predominant non-native species that are like competing with the, uh, Southwestern pond turtles? Or, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's. That that's actually yeah no in competing with them for sure yes they're the most uh, prominent in there in terms of turtles uh, when you talk about other non-natives like bullfrogs um, you've got some carp in there uh, you've got some other species that could potentially being have negative effects but yeah turtle wise definitely um, over the course of this research actually. Um, we did about 200 hours of, of surveys, visual surveys, and we only saw, we saw one Apollon, so one uh, Florida soft shells, what it looked like, kind of hard to tell, um, and then two yellow belly sliders, which are still common sliders, pond sliders, um, but kind of a different ver a variety there. Um, so yeah, no, uh, in the end, actually, we ended up with about 472 red-eared slider observations and about 161 southwestern pond turtle observations, uh, which is a ratio of about 3.7 sliders uh, to pond turtles, which is a pretty crazy thing to think about. I mean, they've really, they're at, at this site, um, and it's, you have to interpret this carefully because what we did was not, we're not tagging turtles, we're not touching them. So we, we were just doing visual surveys. So what we're seeing is definitely repeat individuals. We don't have a full idea of what the exact composition numbers wise between the species is there. But just based on how many more sliders we saw, it's, uh, I, I, I can say with confidence that uh, there are many more sliders in there than pond turtles uh, currently, which is just crazy to think about. I mean, it's just people dumping them off and it's terrible. Yeah. But um, that, yeah. So yeah, they are predominant. And honestly, I think that they are the most, one of the most abundant animals if not the most abundant uh, large vertebrate in that creek. So it's sort of crazy to think about. Definitely. Do you know um, if like any researchers uh, working with the, uh, the Northern Pacific pond turtles, if they're like seeing that kind of uh, drastic like number in red sliders or is it more concentrated in like the Southern part of California? Yeah, that's um, interesting. It, they're definitely pretty unanimous across the state. Um, I do some, I actually, I made an iNaturalist project a few years back and just to track all California turtles. And, um, we have about 29, give or take a few, 29 species of turtle that have been reported in the state. Um, Jeez. just, yeah, just, I know it's crazy, but just recently we actually, someone reported a razorback musk turtle, uh, that oh they saw in San Francisco. So yeah, but yeah, to answer that, um, there's about 7,000 slider observations in the state and about 3,000 pond turtle observations across the whole state. So you see a similar ratio uh, of, sl of sliders to pond turtles and particular projects that um, are seeing more sliders than pond turtles. Uh, it's interesting, it's an interesting question there are not a lot of people that have done studies that were exactly like the one that I've conducted. Uh, there have been some, and there was one particular UC Davis that did find a lot of sliders. I actually don't know what their, if they kind of, uh, they calculated what the ratio of 
Pontrell's the sliders was, but in the system they were working, I would guess it was probably more sliders. Um, but I could be wrong there, but yeah, no, it's an interesting question. And I would venture to guess in many major, uh, kind of river systems that are near urban areas, uh, with high populations, you're going to see more sliders. Um, and the only spots you're probably going to see more pond turtles are mountainous streams. They're high elevation, uh, or stuff that's just really remote, uh, kind of in the North, North part of the range. Like a lot of people don't realize because California is pretty massive state. Uh, San Francisco, Sacramento, or they're definitely not, they're North California, but there, there's a lot more, uh, North and that area, a lot of it's mountainous and you'll see more pond turtles there just cause it's kind of untouched. But, uh, yeah, I know pretty much the whole state's been invaded. Uh, anywhere you see a lot of people, you're probably going to have a lot more sliders in that river drainage than you are going to have pond turtles. If any pond turtles, a lot of spots, they've been completely wiped out. Gotcha. Um, I know that you mentioned like a crazy number of non-native species. Um, besides the uh, the western pond turtles, do you guys have any like other native species within California, or is like the I guess the natural biodiversity of turtles like lower in the state? Yeah, it's definitely lower. We've got uh, desert tortoises. Uh, I've done a little work with them. Um, so that's the uh, Mojave desert tortoise, and. We also, yeah, we've got the two pond turtle species, so we kind of bumped up our diversity by a few points there. Um, and technically, there have been Sonoran mud turtles that were reported um, from the area around Lake Havasu, which is a big recreation area. Uh, it's a terribly degraded. I was actually up there last summer, and it's a terribly degraded system. I mean, it, you you can see the oil on it, and and it's just it, it's a pretty disgusting lake. Um, just with the amount of people that visit. But yeah, technically we've had Sonoran mud turtles in that system up there, uh, but not anymore. I would consider them pretty extirpated. Um, and then soft shells too is an interesting case. The Gila River in Arizona used to have this compound on it about 100 years, 1920s. And one day it flooded. Uh, it's, some, it, something happened to it. The water was raised and a bunch of soft shells I'm not sure about the exact numbers, but a bunch of soft shells got loose from a crate they were in. Um, this is back in the days when they were farming turtles up there. They Texas spiny soft shells, they all got out and they got into the river and all went up river and the Gila River connects to the Colorado River. And so all these soft shells dispersed over hundreds of miles um, and ended up it, they they ended up because the, the Colorado River kind of bends around the curve of California. Uh, it's a little bit in the state and they ended up in there and then um, you also see pet soft shells all over the place here. So that's another one that's actually, if you want to see soft shells, you probably have a better, an easier time doing it in a lot of cases here, uh, than you will in some of the native spots, which is kind of the sad part of it. But, uh, yeah, no, that's one that we've got a ton of, but they're not, I wouldn't consider them native here. They've been established for a while, but yeah, no, I would say, uh, we've got three species of native turtle and then sea turtles is a different story, obviously, but yeah. Gotcha. Uh, I know that you've done some work uh, with the Turtle Conservancy. Could you maybe speak to that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And yeah, even Jack probably talked about this one uh, a little bit. But yeah, no, I've been involved with them for a while. Um, the first time I got involved was back in, I think, 2016. Um, I got I got to meet a sea turtle researcher, actually, a researcher that was doing work with 
um, those robotic eggs that they're making with the, the trackers in them. And they plant these, um, these eggs that they make, these synthetic eggs in nests, and then they can track where the poachers are taking them to kind of figure out the market dynamics. It's kind of fascinating. And she was at this wildlife conference that I was visiting. Um, and, you know, it's a small world because I was talking to her about this project and she's like, oh, you know, you know, the Turtle Conservancy, they do some cool stuff. Um, I think I mentioned I was more into freshwater turtles and, you know, the sea turtle, freshwater turtle world is kind of a separate thing. Um, yeah, they've got like a whole different conference for that, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, yeah, no, it's definitely, it's a weird thing, but it sort of makes sense. Sea turtles get a lot more attention. Uh, I would consider, they could be technically, cons- well, not really megafauna, but you've got charismatic animals. I guess You could consider a megafauna, I guess, leatherbacks yeah, get out yeah. there. But um, yeah, no, but so I was talking to her at this conference and she's like, oh, I can connect you with them. And so I was like, "Okay, great. And I got to go visit a few months later the facility. Um, And yeah, it just kind of took off from there. And they were they've been amazing. All the all of the uh, people that work there and uh, have been really helpful and um, really inspirational. Honestly, they do some such amazing work. Um, but I've gotten to go up there a few times and help just sometimes I'll go over weekends and up to the, the center in, in, uh, central California, um, to help with kind of the captive care. I got to go through some of the water filtration things, kind of work on the biological aspect, uh, biological filtration there. Um, also just helping with animal care, getting what needs to get done, moving animals. That's always got some stuff. Um, most recently got to go up in February and uh, we helped um, catalog some of the medical supplies they had, which is cool. Uh, done some tours for them, which is a really great experience. You get to see kind of these the people that come in, not recently because of COVID, everything's kind of shut down, but um, the tours that we got to do back a few years back are great i mean you get to tell people about the turtles it's heaven um and then yeah the the biggest thing i think recently uh was going out and helping move the colonial research institute um and helping with all that i mean that's just an amazing place you know there's nothing that comes close Thirteen thousand, or nearly that much or a little over uh specimens um preserved i mean over it's got to be about 270 plus species represented there stuff you don't see anywhere else and we actually got to go help for about a week there and move a lot of those things and pack them into crates because they're going they're shipping them out to um the center here in in central california and working on that um in terms of what's going to happen there i don't know so much and it's kind of on the the down low but uh Stuff is going to be really cool in the future with that. And I, I, I'm honored that me, Jack, and Wyatt uh, all got to go down and help there and that they would uh, consider us for that. So that's kind of the most recent stuff. And there's one other thing, too. Uh, they're actually starting a pond turtle project um, kind of in, in its in the I'm potentially going to help out with that. So cool kind of mountainous pond turtle stuff. I'm, I'm pretty I'm close to sea level where I work with them right on the, the, yeah, that area. So it's a different dynamic there. So, yeah, it's kind of my work with that and it's a great organization. Definitely. They, um, they're, they're not just involved with like uh, insurance colonies, but they also like buy up land. Is that, that correct? Or, uh... 
Yeah, for sure. And they've got, oh man, it's something like, uh, it's 66,000 plus acres of protected land and it, it, it's constantly changing. Uh, they've got a large Bolson tortoise preserve that's 40,000 plus acres. Um, they've got multiple little thousand, 2000 acre properties, uh, in South Africa, um, South America, even in Mexico. Um, and yeah, no, that's actually a big aspect of what they do is uh, protecting the habitat. And we were, this is one thing that I think is really, really imperative. Uh, and you don't see it. It's, it's kind of a, a tough thing to do. And Turtle Conservancy is great resources for this. Um, is when you protect... I mean, assurance colonies are great because you're protecting a species uh, sort of ex situ out of where it, where it came from in the wild. Um, but if you ever want to put it back, you have to have a functioning ecosystem uh, that that remains and somewhere to put it. And I think increasingly as sort of the world population gets up and continues to rise, we're losing more of this habitat. And so Turtle Conservancy is a great job um, with getting land. I mean, they have tons of it. And that's one of the big aspects of their um, conservation strategy is protecting not just the turtles, but everything around them. Uh, it's a really, really dynamic and it's a great plan. Uh, and it definitely works too. I mean, even some of the, the side things, you get community involved, you get a great community around that. You can provide jobs in areas uh, that are maybe a little bit underserved or, or just third world countries, honestly, a lot of areas where people don't have access, you actually bring uh, some some level of, uh, of of work there and uh, to protect animals and you create a good sentiment for people. It's, it's really an amazing thing. Uh, but yeah, no, the assurance colonies and, and in situ habitat preservation, I would say, is kind of that's the TC's goal and education. So they kind of three pronged thing there. Gotcha. Um, I know that like probably a lot of people I'd assume know you for like your turtle work, uh, but outside of turtles, like are there any other uh, specific groups of herps that uh, you're particularly like into or involved with, um, be it like research or just herping? Yeah, so that's a that's a fun one. Um, I've predominantly been into turtles, you know, most of my life, and um, I've pretty much when COVID hit. Um, is kind of the first time, I mean, I've always been into all animals and done all sorts of animal things and reptiles predominantly overall. And, but when COVID, I haven't really herped much. I've gone out looking for turtles with people and, um, you know, doing turtle projects and found other things kind of, you know, vicariously through doing those things. Um, but I haven't herped for other things much. And when COVID hit, uh, it's kind of like, okay, I got a lot more free time here and I, I need to stay away from people. So I started going out and looking for other things. And um, actually, I, I, I think, oh man, it's not going to be for a lot of herpers. This isn't impressive, but for me, it's a milestone. I think I ended with about is 89 different herp species this year oh, man. or last year. And um, yeah, that was just after going out, we'd go out to the desert sometimes, found lots of stuff out there and you, you see all sorts of crazy people. We run into poachers you're into some guy dumping out there and um you gotta it's it can be kind of crazy and actually i would go out to, to the area i study the pond turtles out there's a decent uh population of red diamond rattlesnakes um and i met this guy who was an artist uh that was working out there and he he um 
it was telling me all about this. It's it, it, the population there was decent, was and it's been decimated. And I actually was lucky; I got to find some. But he was telling me that in the fifties and sixties, um, this guy would go out with his brother, and they'd go freehand all these red diamond rattlesnakes. Um, it's kind of a weird spot for him to be too. And they at one point took one. It was a big, massive one, like over four, four and a half feet. They took this snake. They and they drove it out about an hour south and gave it to some guy who was filming a video about getting snake bites and how to treat snake bites for a Qatar, for some program in, for some program in Qatar, like a television program. Um, and it was kind of a, it's just a weird thing. This guy and. And nowadays you don't find the the red diamonds really at the spot anymore. Uh, and I have a feeling that maybe some of it had to do with him. It wasn't his only one that he took and sold, but just kind of a weird story. You get, that's one of the fun things. You get to go and meet all these people, just tell you random stuff about all these places. But yeah, no, I mean, snakes are cool. I, I, I've done some of that stuff. And uh, this year especially got out to do some other, to broaden uh, horizons a little. So that's kind of, yeah. Yeah, and uh, where you're at in SoCal, like you're like uh, close to like the kelp forest, uh, correct? And like the, the, um, the overall like California coast is all from uh, the eastern coast. So have you been able to go out and um, explore some of like the marine life um, or have you st- stuck um, to the deserts? Oh, yeah, the marine. Yeah, so yeah, that's a good one. Um, I have gone to Catalina which is like a big, you know, that's all the school field trips that just get on a, a boat and go out for four days and snorkel out there. I've gotten to go a few times to do some more serious um, kind of like looking for things there, seen some cool underwater stuff. I, I'm not certified to dive yet. I uh, just haven't had time really, but you need to do it at some point. There's actually a cool spot called La Jolla. You can go and uh, snorkel with sea turtles out there um, and you can get really like, uh, you can see them just snorkeling. You don't even have to dive. Um, but yeah, no, I didn't spend so much time on, on, on the beach. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. A lot of people come here for that, but the beach tends to be pretty packed and, uh, touristy and it, it, there's good spots. Obviously I don't want to generalize it like that. There's amazing areas here, but yeah, my, my work's been kind of focused more on the terrestrial side of things or the aquatic, uh, inland side of things. But I got some one of Nick Hess. Um, he's got some really cool stuff. A great white rattlesnake on Instagram. Um, yeah, I've seen a lot of his photos. He was oh my gosh, in the Galapagos here recently, right? Yeah, yeah. He he was spending some time there, I think, and he he takes out incredible photos. I mean, it's world class uh, photography, um, and he does a lot of diving. Uh, and he's done some cool stuff. I've seen some of those photos, but now I'm 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 sort of. Uh, not so much just haven't gotten into it. I, I love diving. I love, or I love uh, snorkeling, done some in Hawaii, that kind of thing, but nothing. Uh, that's kind of an upcoming, hopefully <laughs> get to do a little more of that. Yeah. And y'all have like some cr- crazy looking nudibrachs too. I know I've seen like a lot of uh, like Nicholas's uh, photos and pretty wild yeah. stuff you got down there. We've got some crazy ones. I've seen a few of them. Um, you'll see them kind of in the tide pools or in the shallows if you snorkel it. Uh, yeah, we're, there's some crazy diversity. I think Nick even made a shirt, too, with some of those photos he has. It's incredible. I've got to go get one of those. Uh, and one of his night lizard shirts. Those ones are great. That The insular night lizards are a really cool one. Um, 
one of my other friends has been uh, trying to get me to go out, try to get on a boat potentially, and um, and uh, look for some of those night lizards if we can get permission. Um, they're pretty the the ones that are on. Um, oh man, I forget. Uh, there's an island. It's one of those Channel Islands out there, and they get massive. Like for a night lizard, they're not very large maybe a few inches, but the, Nick got a great photo one. It's incredible. Uh, and they get real, they're cool. They're really cool. You can only find them there too. Um, that's another cool one. So there is even, that's a cool thing. California is such a cool place to topography and kind of landscape wise. Um, you've got such a diversity of things and where you can find them. Uh, I don't love the state overall just because the lack of turtle diversity, but in terms of, uh, in terms of how many animals you can get here and the diversity you get, it's, uh, um it, overall it's an amazing spot definitely um do you have any like uh projects be it like research or conservation kind of like down the pipeline that um you're looking forward to or that you're um in the plans or of uh, for whatever or? yeah yeah um that's definitely a lot of stuff you know comes up kind of sporadically this summer was getting kind of crazy with how much stuff it was looking like oh my gosh there's a lot um especially with all the stuff you know that got piled because of covid and then it got kind of shut down and it's reopening um in turn i'm starting to iron things out plan wise but um you know high school is kind of it's rough right now i'm a junior so just doing that i got to take one more act and then i'm done with that aspect of things but um, once summer hits, I think the first thing I'm looking to do is we're going to hopefully go down to Florida, um, and potentially see what we can look for there. Uh, what we can do, potentially go on some, do some work there. We'll see. Um, that's kind of up in the air. And then, um, the net, yeah. So kind of the next thing that I, I probably have planned is then coming back, um, and probably doing some Arizona, just work i like to go we have uh i like to go there sometimes and last year we had a lot of fun going out there uh, a few times when covid hit um so i'm thinking about going back looking for some of the you know the cool rattlesnake species i've only seen two uh rat or three rattlesnake species in arizona but i need to get some more of those sky island ones the ridge nose and um the uh the price price i forget the uh, common name on them but uh so that'll be one thing and then you know down the pipe maybe go back to florida and, and do some work in georgia potentially uh we'll see and then the last thing that's planned is i, I don't know so much about this one at this point i gotta figure this out but um potentially going down to new mexico for the international herpetological symposium uh, meeting up with some people there in late July and hopefully going to present about the pond turtle work I've been doing, which will be fun uh, to kind of present on the whole, you know, a good way to put the icing on the cake for finishing the project. Uh, maybe get some cool herping done. You've got to, you got to come down to Florida with us at some point. You got to get some, you got to get some cool Florida turtles. Have you been or? I, I was actually just down there uh, like a couple weeks ago. I didn't get to do like a whole lot of herping, um, but we went out to um like what is it Wakiwa or Wakiva? Um, and we found like a, a single peninsula cuter after about maybe like a, I think we hiked like 10 miles in total because we went over to this like other spot by a, like a popka um, 
so it wasn't super productive but i mean we found a turtle and that's really all that matters you know oh nice yeah that's awesome uh we were in wakaiwa actually after we we did the uh the cri work uh we went down to wakaiwa in in that area and kayaked it and we yeah we saw some red bellies and a peninsularis yeah some cool stuff in there Apopka, did you see any gopher tortoises? No gopher tortoises? Oh, yeah. We uh, we, we found oh. a couple of those. So that, yeah, that yeah, was definitely right. cool to see. I was going to say, that's just that's a given down there. It's crazy, too, because being someone who's into, you know, desert tortoises, you don't see desert tortoises, um, any of the, the uh, three types in abundance, like you see gopher tortoises. And to get a desert tortoise, you've got to go way out in the middle of nowhere. Um, we're, we do work sometimes we'll do work trying to get, um, land. Uh, I work with the preserve committee out here and, um, a lot of it's land acquisition because they bought out this big preserve, but within the preserve are little chunks of land that are not owned by the preserve. So it's a weird dynamic. Uh, and so we work on that and we're out there once and this guy's out in the middle. It's a middle of nowhere, middle of the desert, two hours away from anything, um, any kind of civilization and this guy is out there and where we approached him like what's up and he proceeded to tell us his name was lord spud and he was with his fair maiden or fair lady penelope Um, and yeah no it's just crazy some of the people you meet out there that's kind of a tent but what what kind of my point is that the desert tortoise in the middle of nowhere you got crazy wackos out there (laughs) but um Florida, you can just literally walk outside the hotel and there's a borough right across the road in the middle of the city. It's a really weird uh, for someone. I, I think a lot of people just think it's awesome to see them, but I've got kind of a perspective on that. It's like, oh, man, I wish that was the case here um, that with desert tortoises. Just just isn't you got to go so far out to find them. But yeah, <laughs> that's great, though. Um, that's cool. And you just did Wakaiwa when you were out there. Uh, we drove a around i forget exactly where we primarily stayed up in like the orlando area but actually um, last weekend i was in like i think it was like unicoi state park um like northern uh georgia and like the um, area that we stayed at i found like i'm not too familiar with my uh, my pseudemies but i believe it was a river cooter and uh like a yellow bellied slider and then an eastern painted and then we also caught a glimpse of a mustard but i wasn't able to like because we like saw it come up and then went back down into the water and we didn't see it again so that was real cool oh yeah that's awesome yeah probably uh it probably where you it was coastal uh it was more like uh not coast like uh northwestern georgia i think is where unicoi state park is but it's like up by the like chattahoochee river oh oh you were up kind of by atlanta in the atlanta area or I, I think like a bit north of that, yeah. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. I was gonna say pro- might have been a Floridana, but I was thinking the opposite side of the the state. Probably, yeah, probably Consina. That's a that's a really cool one, um, and that would be the pseudomies. And then, oh yeah, yeah. I guess you could get theoretically, yeah. I guess their painted turtles could be <laughs> coming in yeah, right around. Like single Eastern painted turtles. So I'm not sure. Um, actually, like Unicoi State Park, it's like a dammed up river, so. I'm sure that like the animals that you get there are probably pretty, I guess, different or not typical considering the habitat is so modified. 
Yeah, I think southern paintings are up in the Tennessee drainage. It kind of loops around the like northern area of Alabama. But I, I don't think they're very common up there. I could be wrong about that. But that's an interesting. Maybe you got a released one up there or they dip down. I, I don't think they eastern yeah. go that far down. But that's a cool find. Definitely. Um, I guess like to wrap this up here, um, do you have any words of advice um, or guidance to someone uh, like the promotion of conservation and getting outdoors and uh, along those lines? Yeah, for sure. I think um, just to, yeah, I think obviously the first thing is just to promote conservation. Um, I think that, yeah, you know, someone put it, I, I wrote a post about this on Instagram uh, recently for Earth Day, uh, which I think is, it should be kind of every day. I, I also understand where in a lot of scenarios that can be kind of an exhausting thing to ask, but it, it is really what we, what we need to acknowledge. Um, but I wrote something recently, someone commented on it. Um, and I think what I saw the first sentence, uh, I, I think what they said though, was getting at kind of what I was trying to convey there um, is that conservation is obviously a lot of us do it because we love the animals um, and that's kind of enough for us is we want to preserve them as they are now. Um, and, and as they happen kind of, you know, prior to real human expansion, uh, and destruction. Uh, but another aspect of it, like you don't really, I, I want to appreciate you don't necessarily need to be attached to animals or love the animals, um, and, or even nature, honestly. I, I mean, I think that most people do, it's kind of tough to find someone who doesn't. It's so therapeutic and such, but I think that really I want to preach that you can be pretty selfish, but conservation and, and is really still important um, if you want a future for your kids or if you just want a, you know, a future. And there's a lot that can be debated about these things, but I think that the current trends we're seeing in terms of environmental destruction are pretty telling um, in terms of where we're going. Uh, and conserving one animal doesn't, it's not because we just love that animal. It's honestly, cause that, that animal plays a critical aspect such as turtles in kind of maintaining the ecosystem that supports us. Um, and the fact that we destroyed at such a rate is it's pretty incredible. Uh, like one of those things that they're doing, raining the Keto Bakito, uh, where you got the one Sonoida mud turtle, that's one of the only spots there's a little bit in the Sonoida river, uh, but that's one of the only spots, the only spot in Arizona, you can get them and they're draining those uh, for concrete to build stuff over there. Um, I, I just think that's one example of just, you know, killing off that animal is uh, might seem kind of all right, whatever to some people. But that animal is playing a very important role in keeping insect populations down and they eat larvae um, and they're key to you know moving that e that ecosystem and providing a basis you know if we if we destroy that habitat that's just one more link that we lose in kind of this web uh the blocks we have to take out the big jenga pieces it, it's really anyone's guess honestly um before it kind of all comes down uh but i'd say in terms of anyone who wants to get involved with this kind with uh, conservation work and such um the way i did it is kind of just reach out to people. I wouldn't be shy. Um, you don't, not everyone's going to give you the answer you're looking for, but a lot of people surprisingly are 
Um, if you if they've got some work going on and you show interest in it and, and, and you're really legitimately interested, they are willing to help you, uh, maybe even have you come out and help them. Um, try to get involved with as many groups as possible. I think that that's something repeated a lot. Um, but in terms of my own, I think one thing that you have to have is a lot of ambition too. Um, it, and that's kind of a hard thing to ask of someone, but when you're really ambitious about something, um, you're going to, you, you'll get it done. And I think that that's something you should just kind of live by. It's like, that's something you feel. These are the things that I really love to do. Um, and I, I have a lot of ambition to get this done. That's one thing. And, and just knowing, you know, this one's kind of a, a lot, I guess it's just a life thing, but if you're looking to really get involved with stuff and try to make differences, you got to just, you got to work pretty hard. I'm learning that. I've realized that a little bit just with this research and um, everything, but you're not going to really get anywhere with making a difference. I, well, you could probably, but, but it's going to be tough if you don't, uh, you know, put work into it. And I think that a lot of people, I mean, um, are doing a good job with that, but that's something that, that needs to happen. We need to work pretty hard at this and not take it grant for granted. But, uh, yeah, no, I would say just hard work, uh, into doing what you love, do it with it, be ambitious about it, um, and get involved as much as you can and, uh, try to get as many opportunities. That's kind of what, that's the advice I'd give. Um, but yeah, no, I think that's kind of, all right. Thanks for taking the time out of what I'm sure is a pretty busy schedule to come on and be a guest on this uh, podcast. Uh, thanks. No, thanks. It's been great.